For several years, CryptoHack has been a free platform for learning modern cryptography through fun and challenging programming puzzles. From toy ciphers to post-quantum cryptography, CryptoHack has a wide-ranging and ever-increasing library of puzzles for both the aspiring and accomplished cryptographer. On this episode of Cryptography FM, we're joined by Giacomo Pope and Laurence Tenon, the founders of CryptoHack, to discuss how the platform came to be, how it evolved, as well as how to improve cryptographic pedagogy more broadly. Giacomo Pope enjoys thinking about maths, the smell of paint in recently opened art galleries, and the mist that grows around your fingers when you touch cold glass. During the day, he is a cryptography consultant for NCC Group, and in the evening, he likes cooking a big bowl of pasta for his daughter. Hello, Giacomo. Hey, it's nice to be here. Nice to have you here. We're also joined by Lawrence Tennant. He is an application security consultant with a broad range of interests. He has found bugs in web applications, network devices, and backup and recovery systems. He is one of the founders of CryptoHack, a popular challenge platform and community for learning modern cryptography. He currently works for Include Security and was previously at Cisco Meraki. In his spare time, he loves cycling, hiking, and escape rooms. Hi, Lawrence. Thanks, Nadim. Excited to be here today. All right, so I think we should get started by having you guys telling us a little bit about what CryptoHack is. Sure, so, so CryptoHack is uh, basically a platform that's completely free and it's designed to make learning cryptography as, as fun uh, and interactive as possible. So the, the emphasis is on uh, bad implementations of uh, kind of modern cryptography. And by modern cryptography, we mean that we don't really spend any time teaching classical cryptography, which is traditionally uh, the way that cryptography is introduced to people. We do have a Caesar cipher. If you want to register and sign up, you have to, you have to solve that. But uh, beyond that, uh, we have, we have um, broken implementations of things like AES, elliptic curve cryptography, and challenges which are, which are designed to be super motivating and get people to dig into the, uh, dig into the, the, the nuts and bolts of, of cryptography. I think, I think the easiest way for me to describe CryptoHack is the motivation to building it was to learn about cryptography myself. So although now the platform exists and we have tens of thousands of users who use it, um, the development of CryptoHack was um, a way to motivate myself to learn about some of the concepts in more detail. I I first encountered CryptoHack during a PhD in theoretical physics. I knew a lot of maths, but relatively nothing about cryptography. And by designing these challenges and looking at how these protocols can be broken, I started to piece together a kind of map of, of modern cryptography. And, and the site grew out of, I mean, both of our interests in cryptography. And, and I think part of what makes it accessible is it was designed by people who were learning at the same time. We're, we're not experts who, who built CryptoHack off 20 years of knowledge. We're beginners who built CryptoHack as we were running along. And, and I think the naivety of how we approached it is what makes the whole thing feel more fun. So, so going from a PhD uh, in physics to cryptography is a bit of a jump. So what motivated you to start studying cryptography, Jack? Uh, so I started because I, I, I think most people here have done some form of research. Uh, it's easy to get stuck and you don't know whether what you're doing is even a good idea. I'd spend months trying to solve some physics problem and then you'd be kind of shadowed in doubt that maybe your idea was bad and there just is no solution. Um, 
and I started solving puzzles online and then I found CTFs and, and the cryptography category was the obvious one for me to try because it was there was more maths and I, I knew nothing about computers. Um, and it was an amazing way to blow off steam. I would spend, you know, three months getting stuck on a physics problem and then I could blow through some bad implementation of RSA over a weekend and get some kind of endorphin rush from solving something. Um, and the more I did it, the more I fell in love with the subject. And when my PhD finished and I needed to start thinking about what to do day to day, the idea of working with maths via cryptography felt um, super interesting. So, yeah, it was a hobby that's now become my career, but it was it all started because I just found it fun. So do you think that if had you discovered cryptography earlier, would you have focused your academic interests on cryptography rather than physics? I think the the thread that goes through my whole education is that underneath everything, I really like maths, but I'm, I'm not particularly formal. So pure maths was always hard for me because the proofs always felt um, tricky. Whereas with physics, I could use a lot of my, my intuition to kind of guide myself and, and have an idea of what should happen before it happened. Um, and I think cryptography brings the kind of pure maths back into a practical space through the implementations and, and making these objects do something either fast or, or break something by using some other property of the So it sounds to me like um, the common thread between these two are the applied nature of the discipline. Like you seem to enjoy the applied nature of physics and you also definitely as demonstrated through CryptoHack seem to enjoy more the applied nature of cryptography. And also you said that you find uh, the math side of proofs kind of tricky at times. Um, I, I sort of sympathize with that personally because while I was doing my PhD, every time uh, that something strayed into uh, the realm where I didn't really see not just the immediate uh, potential for ap real world applications, but even like the distant future potential for real world applications, I, my energy levels would drop down uh, immediately and I wouldn't be able to muster sort of like the amount of uh, conscientiousness necessary to produce good work. I, I, I have this kind of ridiculous um, tightrope walk though, because I, I talk about practical physics, right? But in reality, I looked at 10 dimensional solutions to black holes and, and did a whole bunch of stuff on, on objects that don't really exist. And then I talk about loving practical cryptography, but I've just spent the past few months implementing some chaotic isogeny-based scheme rather than making some very fast and efficient <laughs> lattice. So so as, as much as I can say that I like practical things, I also like there to be as much maths as possible. So I, I'm, I'm interested in public key cryptography more than... Um, private key cryptography because there's more maths and then within public key cryptography i like elliptic curves more than i like finite fields and within elliptic curves i like isogenies more than i do the group action on the curve so uh yeah I, I, it's tricky for me to say whether if someone had shown me practical cryptography when i was 18 would i have picked it over thinking about string theory probably not um but given the opportunity to think about maths via cryptography is a day job that's a really special thing for me so it's um yeah between between me and lawrence i'm definitely the more mathsy one and he's the more practical one so if there's a tls challenge he wrote it and if there's one that uses some strange math prop property i probably wrote it so um together we've we made a fairly balanced website but i think either one of us there would have been I think it's kind of interesting that, uh, Jack, you're more interested in the theoretical stuff, because I think in contrast to Nadim, I'm much more of a theoretical cryptographer, especially lately where I've been like doing very foundational work, like looking into like how UC security works at like a very low level. And I also enjoy 
crypto hack a lot. I haven't played in a while, but I have done a handful of challenges. And I found that like there's a theoretical appeal to it too, and that if you get into theoretical cryptography, often you're manipulating these kinds of like games. And it's often like a little puzzle. Like a proof in theoretical cryptography is like a little puzzle you have to solve and move things around. And it ends up being kind of similar to the challenges you have in crypto hack sometimes. Yeah, totally. So what I, I wonder if we can go into that a little bit. Like, what is the difference that determines whether someone will be more of a theoretical cryptographer or more of an applied cryptographer? Is it a is it something to do with your background, your personality, what what excites you? Uh, because this is a very sort of pronounced difference in the in the field at large. Um, and it's the you kind of have these two camps, right? Like you have the uh, the theoretical cryptographers and they're, you know, at Eurocrypt or Asia Crypt or crypto. Um, and then you have the applied cryptographers, and uh, they're usually at real world crypto, but sometimes at IEEE SNP or um, uh, CCS or Usenix in terms of academia, but they're largely outside of academia. Uh, also, they're doing cool stuff over at, for example, uh, Signal Foundation or Brave uh, or, or many of those companies. Um, is it, you know, like for me, I think that the, um, it's a very emotional thing. Um, my my attraction to apply cryptography because when I do something, whether it be research or engineering, what I'm thinking about is the um, happiness uh, of. Um, uh, it sounds very corny, but really, I mean, the the best way I can describe it is the happiness of people I care about. So that's what motivated, for example, some of my very early and uh, ill-fated uh, crypto projects, like CryptoCat, a secure messenger I wrote in my undergrad years. I feel extremely selfish right now because the, the reason I got interested into cryptography is almost like by accident. I just found it fun. And the reason I'm into theoretical cryptography is because I like writing proofs. I think they're fun to write. It's, it's, I don't really have any, like what interests me more in cryptography is saying, oh, I can apply this interesting like construction to something new, or I can like achieve this complicated thing. Uh, Sometimes having applications is nice, but it's it's not really a motivation for me at the moment. I think a nice way to, because I feel um, I feel like there's a split between this idea of, of practical and theoretical in cryptography, but but there's actually there's this kind of murky middle ground in between them. And and to use an analogy, so I don't say something wrong about cryptography, um, in Switzerland we've built this huge collider with CERN and we'd send particles around in, in circles at nearly the speed of light and we bash them into each other. And the hope is it, if we bash them together fast enough, we might see something that we've never seen before, some new particle. And and the people who built CERN are engineers. There's things which are nearly the temperature of space and that they're powering these particles at the temperature of well, half the temperature of the sun or something. And they're going around really, really fast at the speed of light. And they bash into each other. It's a massive engineering problem. But the motivation behind this is purely theoretical. Uh, the the They're not doing it because you get something practical out of the end of it. They're doing it for the search of knowledge. Um, and then on, on the flip side, we have um, similar engineers working with similar quantum problems who build computer chips. And these are very practical and they help us do all sorts of very cool things. And then on the flip side, we might have a researcher who works for some semiconductor company and they're working on making some part of it faster without ever really touching any hardware. So these people are theoretical, but they're actually doing something very practical. And then we have people who sit in universities and do something theoretical about the theoretical stuff. So you, so you have all of these different aspects, right? 
And and so for me, I think about theoretical cryptography as the production of new asymmetric schemes, taking a bunch of maths, thinking, ah, oh, is this group a good group? Is it a safe group for cryptography? Can we do something fast enough with this group? Um, is it allowed to be a group? Does Shores break this? Do I have to use some kind of non-commutative object? Or Anyway, that's theoretical, but the end result is very practical, right? We're, we're trying to create something that could be standardized and put into systems, but the, the work behind it is purely academic. And then the work for Signal is this very engineering-focused, very practical thing using already established protocols. Like they're, they're not worrying about which curve to use. They've already picked the curve. They're worrying about how to design a system that allows people to securely talk to each other. So I, I think the motivation comes from your own personal history, what you find most interesting, uh, what drives you to think about stuff. And it might be an engineering problem, like building a chat app for your friends, or it might be a mathematical problem, like can I find a new object that no one's found before, which has got practical use? Um, so cryptography is one of these wonderful subjects that takes a couple of fairly pure subjects so pure in this in the respect of sometimes it's a software engineering problem or pure in the sense of sometimes it's a maths problem. Um, and then as cryptography matures, you get theoretical cryptography in itself, which is what Lucas focus on, focuses on, right? That the games in theoretical cryptography come out of cryptography as a subject in of itself. Um, and so I'd say in the past 20 years, cryptography has started to become a pure subject in itself as well as something which applies to other areas of science. Um, it, so it's it's a new is a new area. Like I, I talked to my colleagues about this. Physics has been around, well, since the Greeks, right? So we, we, have, a, <laughs> we have a lot of books. We've done a lot of thinking about it. But computers are, are new. And, and cryptography using computers is even newer. Um, and it's going to take some time for the subject to mature and for us to understand all of the different subdisciplines. But at the moment, we're all kind of swimming in the same ocean, but doing very different jobs. I think uh, you brought up the link between engineering and physics. And I also think there's a Kind of analogous thing in cryptography too. So for example, in physics, my understanding is that a lot of physics was developed to understand why stuff worked in practice. For example, I think we developed steam engines and whatnot before we had thermodynamics. And then we use thermodynamics to try and understand why steam engines work and how to make them more efficient. And I think in cryptography so far, the trend has been in that kind of direction too. So you mentioned Signal. With Signal, a lot of the practical engineering work was done first. And then later, we had more and more sophisticated technical analyses of why Signal was secure. But a lot of the time, especially in terms of practical stuff, it's like people engineer systems first, and then we prove them secure. And that often spurs development of like stronger ways to model security, because we have to model these complicated objects now. Is that, is that really how you want to spur development of, uh, of proofs? <laughs> Just like you're, you're forced to because everyone is ignoring uh, proper, uh, proper practice? I think the better way to do it is to try and, and is, is create systems that are secure by design. That's probably the easier route, especially now. But where it's very important to have practical feedback is on what types of uh, threat models are realistic. Because that's the kind of thing where it's, it's very difficult in your like, ivory tower as a theoretical cryptographer to know what attacks are practical or not. You can say, oh, well, it's impossible for someone to actually attack a system in this way or... You know, this kind of leakage doesn't matter, but then in practice, people exploit it. Like one good example of this is like all the side channels you have. All right, uh, let's uh, let's move forward. Uh, so how did you guys meet? Yeah, it's quite unusual, actually. Um, we we basically made friends with each other online. And it was, I think, years before, you know, we developed CryptoHack uh, remotely. And then we it was years before we actually met up in person, um, even though we don't we don't actually live too far away from each other. 
Um, so we, I think we were both originally part of the, the crypto puzzle community. Um, so this is crypto in terms of the cryptocurrency, not, not cryptography, um, unfortunately. Um, so it's basically a community of people who enjoy uh, kind of um, these artistic puzzles, which when solved, they contain a prize in Bitcoin or some other cryptocurrency. Um, and many of them are inspired by uh, Cicada 3301, uh, which is probably the, one of the most famous ones, although I don't think that had any prize. Um, and Jack and I played that. And um, um, one, of our, one of my team members in one of these puzzles was uh, this genius astrophysicist uh, who invited me to a CTF team uh, consisting of a, of a few of the top crypto puzzle players, um, including Jack and, and Robin, who's, who's our, our other um, crypto hack admin. And um, we, we started playing a few CTFs, and one we really liked was this uh, little-known Vietnamese platform called Vblo CTF uh, that had a lot of the ideas and, and features which we ended up choosing and, and using in CryptoHack. Uh, so, so they had lots of like um, they, they they really dialed up the gamification and really make you want to get to the top of the leaderboard. And so Jack, Jack's smiling because we had a lot of fun playing on this. this. No one knows about this platform, but we really enjoyed it. And um, we were kind of unsatisfied with some of the cryptography challenges we played in CTFs. Uh, the, the good ones, the really great ones, deserve to be hosted for more than a weekend. And the, the bad ones just made us frustrated and annoyed. Like kind of the feeling that we've wasted a whole weekend solving something that was just guesswork essentially and we didn't really learn anything from it and we, we thought that the community needed a more modern resource than crypto pals for learning cryptography uh, and there was really you know the ctf community and the wider community was really missing uh this this you know this kind of this kind of overall community because like web challenges they have similar communities but but uh, cryptography didn't so so we both had this idea at the same time and um we kind of had a very complementary skill set so we decided to, uh, to to go and build this, um, and it was really fun. Yeah, I, I definitely feel like in building CryptoHack, everything I couldn't do, Lawrence could do, and and I think I think it took us a month to get from zero website to the beta release with like eighty challenges and most of the features that you see now. We, we've added a few uh, since since the release, but um, it, it was just before the COVID lockdown. And I was procrastinating writing my thesis and Lawrence had enough time to squeeze in around his job and and we kind of manically wrote challenges and I did some web design and Lawrence rewrote an entire back end of, of a CTF platform that we forked and yeah, it was it was fun. But um yeah, I, I think I interjected just because I wanted to say that Lawrence definitely compliments me perfectly in the creation of CryptoHack. Jack Jack's a real front end wizard, that's why CryptoHack looks so so peaceful. I I don't know my CSS from my XSS. Well, actually, I do. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, he, he's the one who did the, the, the lovely design. Good for you guys. That seems like a very mutually respectful and positive working relationship. That's that's what uh, all teams should strive for, and I congratulate you on it. One point you brought up, Lawrence, is kind of interesting because you mentioned playing bad CTF. So could both of you chime in on what makes a good crypto hack puzzle or CTF uh, crypto- cryptography puzzle and what makes a bad one? Oh, I talk about this. I was actually thinking about writing a blog post about the, the five golden rules for writing a good CTF challenge. One thing that originally drew me to crypto puzzles, uh, cryptography puzzles in CTFs, just to distinguish from um, what I was talking about earlier, is the fact that often source code was provided. In, in my mind, the, the hallmark of a bad CTF challenge um, 
is, is it hasn't been tested. They don't give you source code, so you're just you're just guessing at what's actually going on behind the scenes with you know with no actual feedback or response, um, and it doesn't teach you anything interesting. Um, those are probably the things which uh, yeah I would say is a hallmark of a of, of a really bad challenge. So for me, it's really important unless there's a really really strong reason not to. You have to give the source code uh, in, in in a cryptography challenge or in really any any CTF challenge if you can. Because then the, the players know what they're attacking. They're not they're not wasting time um, on, on, on that side of it. And uh, yeah, the other the other part of it is is it's disappointing how many CTF uh, challenges obviously haven't really been play tested. Uh, you know, they 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 sometimes release challenges which will get uh, solved by hundreds of people or even thousands of people, and there's only very minimal very minimal play testing gone on to it. So sometimes there's just obvious and easy solutions, or or it's just completely unsolvable. Yeah, I, I think um, one way to think about it is is it's there's some kind of Kirchhoff's principle to the CTF puzzle. Like if it's only hard because you don't know what's happening, then it's not it's not a fun puzzle. Um, you, it, most people I, there is a subset of people who play CTS from a purely competitive standpoint, but but most people play CTS because it's fun. Like it's something that we do on the weekends, or we cram it in after work or, or whatever, depending on when, when it's being hosted. And and so a good puzzle should be one which feels like a bug in your brain. So you want easy to read code or an easy to read description of what's happening. And you want to be able to look at it and go, huh, weird. And then maybe you walk away and you go cook dinner and you're still thinking about it. And you, you maybe you get an idea. So you run up while the water's boiling to try something and it doesn't work. Or you send a message to a friend about some, something. And, and that creative process of thinking about how to solve the problem is fun and it's made extra fun when you can trust that the solution has a, sorry, ha, the challenge has a solution. It's similar to what I was talking about with the research. You come up with a research problem, you don't know if there's a solution and it can get quite tricky to find the motivation to keep going. But when you have a CTF challenge, you know there's a solution. You know the scheme you've been given is weak. You know there's a, there's a flaw, there's some kind of Achilles heel to how the... Uh, thing has been implemented and it's your task to try and uncover it and i think the closer you can get someone to thinking creatively about what the solution is and taking away all of the all of the kind of um i don't know guff around the challenge the more fun it is and and i think this it's interesting to talk about this within the wider scheme of cts because obviously reversing challenges is all about you know untangling the thread of what you've been given like the fun of the challenge is the fact that you've been given something obscure and you have to have to use good techniques to find out what's happening at the root of it but for me as a mathematician the crypto ones shouldn't be about that they should be about looking at the system you have and looking for the weaknesses and, and this can happen whether it's a game similar to what lucas creates when he's making his proofs or it can be something like bad prime creation and using polynomials and finding vectors and and solving an rsa problem it, you can you can do it in multiple different ways but something creative something that people haven't seen before and something which is clear in its statement but obscure in its solution that's what i think makes a good challenge yeah there's two sides to it really there's part of it is we're making a puzzle and there's there's some rules to creating a puzzle which people enjoy and um and people find fun and i think um the mistake that most puzzle creators make is that they err on the side of, of making things so difficult because when they design the puzzle, that's what they're thinking about and they have all the context in their mind. 
So they build a puzzle and they assume that other people who are trying to solve this have that context too. And um, so I believe that as a puzzle creator, it's really important to always err on the side of, of, of making things easy because for the people approaching this, um, it's a lot harder for them than you think. And even if that involves, you know, very clearly signaling or signposting what the actual approach required is or, or, or giving, uh, giving links and useful resources, that's what we try to do. And even though we do that, you know, we still find that lots of people uh, find it hard. So we try and build up, you know, we start from we start from the foundations and we try and um, slowly escalate the difficulty uh, step step by step. And um, like, you know. We, when we teach RSA, we, we really start from the start from the beginning, start from the basics, and then we add a challenge. And each challenge introduces, you know, like a slightly new take on something that people have learned before. So they're not just having to dive straight in. And I think that's a real problem with, um, I think we'll probably be good to talk about it a bit later, but CTFs in general, we find are, are have escalated in difficulty. So for people who are just getting started, um, you know, with with a weekly CTF, uh, they they often find that you know it's implementing some deeply theoretical paper, and that's really hard for them. So so CryptoHack provides a way for someone to kind of level up. Um, the other side of it is, and this I kind of draw an analogy to um, you know work in application security consulting, where there are a few different ways that those can be done, and you can have like a, a, a what's called a black box security test, where where you you know it's more like a bug bounty where um, you don't have the source code and you're expected to attack an application from, you know, just from the internet. Um, the other side of it is you have a white box um, penetration test where you, uh, you do get the source code, you do get all the resources, you do get all the documentation and you get the dynamic environment access. And there are places for both of those, but um, it seems like generally application security work is very heavily moving towards white box work um, because that's simply more efficient. It's 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 much. It will find more bugs um, in, and it will find um, hopefully more effective bugs, because the the tester has the ability to both look at the source code and test the things they find in the source code. And if they find anything uh, you know strange uh, that's in the application, then they can quickly cross reference that uh, with 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 the code. So um, it's generally a more effective use of, of a client's time, and. Um, so, so I see that all, all kind of tying into how, how we try and design uh, CTF challenges too. Uh, you know, I ran into a problem like that uh, in a completely different context. I recently uh, created and released my own indie puzzle game. Uh, and uh, I made the puzzles really hard because I had the, the context for the puzzles in my head, as you say, Lawrence. And um, I sort of only uh, like 50, 60 puzzles in realized that I've started forgetting the uh, answers for the earlier puzzles, and only then was I able to appreciate their difficulty, right? Uh, I hope this is not a particularly insipid question, but do you guys have any favorite crypto hack challenges? <laughs> so the ones that I really enjoy uh, are the ones that um, Jack and I collaborated on, um, which were, um, um, were ones which are based off of real world exploits and it was like um i think one of them was curveball so that that one with the the microsoft uh validation of of elliptic curve certificates um i don't remember that one could you could you remind us of what that vulnerability was oh jack might remember better than i do yeah i i can i can probably summarize it enough um essentially the windows crypto api didn't uh check whether there was a non-trivial relationship between the generator point and the public key in a elliptic curve certificate. 
Um, so uh, take some famous websites SSL cert that's got a public point and a generator. You can copy that cert. You can set the uh, generator to the public key and then you have this trivial relationship. The secret is just one. And then when you're required to do anything with that secret key, you already know it because you've just set it to be one. Uh, so it was it was a bad check on the the key pair and the generator of the curve, basically. Um, and you can, I think we don't do the really easy one. We don't let it be one, but you can still control it. If you have some kind of uh, control over the generator and you know the public key, you can create some kind of boring uh, secret key that lets you sign these things without knowledge of the true private key. Yeah, so this was in Microsoft's crypto API, and I think you could use it to forge signing certificates for applications. So it was it was pretty big deal. And uh, I think a few weeks after that was released, we we just made a challenge on it, and we've done we've done a few like that. So there was there was a really interesting paper on Mega uh, and breaking the cryptography there, and one of our community members made a three part challenge, which basically implemented again in a slightly simplified way. But they, they implemented that attack. And uh, so I think personally, I'm most proud of when we can actually, when there's kind of a well-known disclosure and we can actually just come out and, you know, we have a, a challenge where, a, a, a challenge platform that we, and we can just publish a, a model uh, version of, of, of that, of that challenge and, and, and let people really get into the, uh, how it works. I think that's really cool. And then, and then the other nice thing with CryptoHack is we, we wrote a lot of the challenges ourselves, but over time people have submitted them like the mega challenge that Lawrence mentioned. So I can kind of think of a handful of, of user submitted challenges, which I've loved solving because we get sent them, we play test them, we decide whether they're too hard or, or a good difficulty and stuff. So there's, um, there's a, I, w I won't ruin the challenge, but there's a really nice one called roll your own, which I think it's like 10 or 15 lines of Python. It's, it's really simple. And when you look at it, your first thought is, this is completely impossible. There's no way to solve this. Uh, and you sit there with some pen and paper and you have some ideas. And, and and out of the solution comes something really beautiful. And I know a lot of people love that challenge. Um, and then there's a particularly hard one uh, called Real Curve Crypto, uh, which is in the elliptic curve category. And I think I spent a weekend trying to solve that. But when I solved it, I knew it was going to go on the site. That's a really nice one. Um, and... In terms of the original challenges, there's some really nice RNG gamified casino challenges that Lawrence wrote, um, which have a little bit more software engineering behind them. You get to gamble and you can send chips and get money back. And mine are usually just send me a number and tell me whether the number's okay. Uh, <laughs> so I, I remember particularly enjoying those just because they felt really fun to interact with. And some people hated them as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah so so i i think those are really good and high quality um and i think my favorite puzzles come from people who who wrote them rather than i wrote them myself because i got to solve them so um yeah i had a lot of fun with that so i have a favorite puzzle which is i think it's either called double and broken or montgomery ladder and so basically what it is is on elliptic curves you have the famous double and add algorithm and basically, if you implement it in an insecure way, it creates a timing side channel where you can start to get the bits of the private key. And so I thought that was very fun because it's sort of trying to actually exploit a timing attack as a puzzle. And I thought that was really brilliant. Uh, I'm, I'm glad that one came across well. It's, it's, um, it's tricky to put side channel 
challenges into CTFs without making them too easy or too hard because um, you get a bunch of data, right? And you have to work through the noise and, and, and um, yeah, it's a nice introduction to side channels, right? But if you want to do a really hard one, there have been some in CTFs, but you spend most of the time guessing what kind of data that you're looking at, which is a shame. So I know you guys have this Discord, right? It's a pretty large Discord, actually. Um, not just for discussing crypto hack puzzles, but also just discussing cryptography in general. It's a pretty active community. I think I'm in the Discord. Um, and uh, I was wondering if you had any uh, funny incidents uh, moderating the uh, crypto hack uh, Discord chat. <laughs> so, so one thing that we get a lot is, is people who are playing active CTFs and they drop into our community asking people for basically the answer to the challenge or, or a very big hint. And what they don't realize is that actually there's like 100 people in the chat who are also solving the same problem. And so even though they, they will try and kind of disguise the fact that they're asking for a, you know, for <laughs> they're basically cheating, uh, that people will immediately, people who have, who have spent hours and hours also thinking very deeply about this problem will be able to see that very clearly. And the funniest one we had is when uh, somebody asked a question and um, I think this may have been Hack the Box Cyber Apocalypse CTF. Um, and, you know, a community member asked, is this an active CTF? And the, guy, the, the, the person was like, no. And uh, <laughs> the, the thing is, it was actually a challenge that Jack had written. Uh, so so this, this, um, this guy was actually asking Jack for help. And then uh, for a challenge that Jack had written, claiming that he hadn't cheated, and it was just it was just a really silly incident all around. I, I would say chances are, if you come into CryptoHack and you talk about an active CTF, the person who wrote the challenge is almost certainly there. I th we have a pretty wide coverage now. <laughs> it's it's not easy to cheat. But the, the Discord, uh, <laughs> aside from the kind of odd moderation problem, is is amazing. Like uh, there are thousands of people but maybe a couple hundred who are who are active every day and and you can ask a really specific question in some area of cryptography or maths or even programming and there'll be someone who's an expert in that field who will take their time to explain the solution to you and give you examples and 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 there's there's kind of a discussion from hey what does modular reduction mean to some completely crazy algebraic geometry problem kind of talked about back to back in that in that uh, space um and as much as CryptoHack teaches people about cryptography, I think the CryptoHack Discord is what allows people to really understand the hard problems that they have. And I'm really thankful that so many people give their time to that space to answer people's questions. I, kn I know I've learned a lot, or almost everything I know about cryptography from conversations in Discord. Yeah, really happy with the community. Another, another one which I forgot to mention was what happened just a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, you know, Crown Sterling and Robert Edward Grant, um, someone turned up in the in the discord and just started asking some really strange questions about probably some kind of they had some kind of personal relationship with with Robert Edward Grant and were just um, asking for their opinions in chat and asking what what people in chat would say if they had to interview him. And everyone in chat was just like, we don't care about him. We like, you know, this this is uh, not something that the community is interested in, but they just kept asking questions. So you get a lot of, I think this is common, kind of common in all cryptography forums and discussion forums is there's always, there's always some, some uh, you know, strange people who show up. They want you to, maybe they want you to review their, their terrible, you know, hand-rolled crypto system or they, um, 
they want to promote something and you know we we try and work hard to moderate the the community to keep it high quality because we you know there is something that seems to that seems to basically afflict all all the cryptography discussion forums that get beyond a certain size yeah the the community is quite good i, I haven't been as active as I, as I used to be but i had a lot of fun times there i guess that brings up sort of an interesting point which is now we have cool resources like the crypto hack discord and also the, the site itself and also like Every year, more books and more blog posts get published on cryptography. So do you think it's easier to learn cryptography now than when you started or or not? <laughs> it's really hard to... I mean, so there's certainly more resources. Um, and and so the kind of naive answer is yes, because the more resources we have, the, the more viewpoints we have to learn about a topic. Um, but cryptography, cryptography is also getting more complicated. Um there's, there's a lot of uh, resources for mathematics, right? But but modern mathematics keeps getting more complicated. So so you're constantly, like, it, it, there's, what, maybe 500 textbooks on, on classical mechanics. But if you want to become a researcher in modern-day mechanics, then, then you have new problems to solve, right? Um, and and the, I guess the question is, is, are we creating more educational resources than we're creating complicated crypto systems? And I'm, and I'm not sure that's true. Um CryptoHack is a really good way to learn about RSA and elliptic curve cryptography, but um, we don't have a really in-depth discussion on all of the post-quantum schemes. For example, um, isogeny-based cryptography is much more complicated mathematically than anything we've seen beforehand. Um, even if we wrote a whole bunch of blog posts, you're starting to get close to needing a maths degree to really appreciate these things. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure. The the academic world moves fast, and people have got to try and keep up with that. So it's it's tricky. I don't know. Yeah, totally get, agree with Jack's answer that the resources are a lot better, but also the foundation which you need to learn to really understand modern cryptography is is uh, constantly being raised. And uh, I think the next big one will be, um, you know, when when post quantum cryptography becomes very widespread. And suddenly to really understand the cryptography going on in the browsers, you now also have to understand lattices uh, to, you know, to, to some extent. And um, it feels like we're a long way now from when you could just learn the way RSA works uh, and kind of understand a lot of the asymmetric cryptography that goes on um, on the Internet. Even, even moving away from maths, which I like to talk about and can get stuck in a hole with, uh, Things like um, the concept of a zero-knowledge proof, totally understanding what makes something zero-knowledge. I, I remember, I don't know how long ago it was now, but someone made up a zero-knowledge proof website where you could share the name of your crush and then you could find out whether your your, your crush crushed on you. But but it wasn't zero-knowledge. It was just... That, that wasn't zero-knowledge right. at all. That was terrible. Right, it was, it, I it was just that. a website of a bunch of hashes. Pissed me and off. <laughs> That was horrible. <laughs> but, but I think it's a really good example, right? So, so zero-knowledge proofs become more popular and people start talking about how things should be done in zero-knowledge. And then people go, oh, well, a hash function's impossible to undo or cryptographically impossible to undo, however you want to describe it, right? But what they created wasn't zero-knowledge at all. It was it was a it was a basically hash table of people's crushes names and 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 it's a it's a nice one to talk about because it was just for fun right there was no harm that was caused it wasn't hey, I mean wasn't if you're, like, if you're like an insecure kid and someone finds out <laughs> who your crush is that's uh, I can imagine some harm yeah, it can happening be bad. there 
but 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 I think I think it's a good example of zero zero knowledge is is tricky and to really appreciate what what makes a protocol zero knowledge is hard and when you look at modern papers that come up with a scheme which they purport to be zero knowledge the proof for this is is difficult um, and and that's not something we had to worry about in the same way not that long ago um, so so if we want to try and teach people about cryptography then then some of these these more modern problems require more careful treatment and it's going to take time for people to come up with really clear educational resources that that can be ingested by the general public rather than an interested researcher so if i'm a uh, budding cryptography enthusiast you know i'm uh, i'm someone in my undergrads or masters or i don't know any any point in my career um you guys are making the argument that I stand to learn uh, real-world skills that will teach me about cryptography engineering, how cryptography applies in the real world, and how to become more skilled in gleaning insights regarding cryptographic systems out there if I'm trying to understand whether a password manager is secure, whether, I don't know, some VPN is secure, a secure messenger is secure, you know, the sort of things that I think all of us do in our daily lives, right? Like all, all of us are security auditors here. Uh, Jack is at NCC Group and so on. Um, CryptoHack is a good place to go. Is that is that the pitch that you're making to our listeners? Yes. <laughs> Leading question of the I, century. I, mean, I, I yeah. would I would say I only have my job with NCC Group because of the work that Lawrence and I did on CryptoHack. They didn't hire me because I have a physics degree or or a PhD in, in black holes. Um, I I spent a year of really focused attention learning about cryptography and, and the way that I did that was build CryptoHack. But aside from learning about CSS, whether you build CryptoHack or complete CryptoHack, you learn the same information. As long as you honestly solve those challenges, you, you get an exposure to a whole wide variety of problems. And and in, in a sense, um, if you want to work in application security or, or cryptography security, um, you can you can maybe slack off a bit in the hardcore theoretical knowledge you get in doing a PhD in cryptography, because when you do a PhD, you solve one problem in a lot of detail. Whereas if you can cover most of the ground in crypto hack, you have a good foundation. You still have to do a lot of work to really catch up to what's going on right now. But at least you'll have an appreciation of vaguely what's going on, some common attacks on block ciphers, what makes stream ciphers secure, what's the difference between AES and elliptic curve cryptography and why do we use elliptic curves instead of discrete log problems over finite fields like all of these um kind of foundational problems appear while solving puzzles and the idea is is that you're having so much fun you don't realize that you've just learned an undergrad course in cryptography the the whole thing was built from uh, an introduction to mathematical cryptography a textbook by uh, silverstein hoffman and Maybe one other person. Oh, God, that's bad. I should remember. Anyway, there's a textbook, Introduction to Mathematical Cryptography. It's like my Bible for anyone who who is interested in learning more about crypto. Um, and There's also Joy of Cryptography. I love that book. I want to name drop it. Uh, Joy of Cryptography, great book. Yeah. I mean, and for those who learn from tech... I should show my blog post. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which has a, a list of... Cryptography books, including the ones uh, that have been mentioned. Yeah, that's a good resource. <laughs> Maybe we should put that in the show notes. Um, yeah, I mean, oh, you, you were going to. No, say I was. I, I was going to say. Obviously, I liked learning with CryptoHack, but some people learn great from books or YouTube lectures or or other things, right? So, 
Um, I think it's important to say, I think crypto, crypto hack is a great resource and it taught me a lot, but it's not, it's not perfect. Not everyone learns that way. And, and if you're interested in learning about cryptography, then even if the site doesn't excite you, then I hope the community is a space to give you other types of resources. Um, maybe you love listening to lectures where you're lying in bed, or maybe you like reading textbooks and solving problems. And, and, and those are all valid ways to learn things. And making a gamified website works for a lot of people, but it doesn't work for everyone. So there's a kind of if and only if problem, right? I think it's sufficient to learn crypto hack to it's sufficient to play crypto hack to learn about cryptography, but it's not necessary. You can learn about cryptography in a whole bunch of different. I think one point I'd like to add is that one important aspect of all of these methods is that like you kind of immerse yourself, like it's better to like spend a year doing a bit of cryptography every day and thinking about it, you know, on the bus or whatever, than to just do like one weekend where you just do cryptography 24 seven, like having that long periods of just thinking about stuff and ruminating is very important in my experience. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and also, also it's been mentioned, but crypto pals is also still a great resource. Um, some of the motivation for building crypto hack was problems that I saw with, with crypto pals. So I personally would always suggest our website over, over that one. Um, but I think for people who like to know how to solve a problem before they solve it, crypto pals is really good. All right. Um, so I think it's time we wrapped up uh, over here. That, that's been a really enlightening discussion, not only on uh, what CryptoHack can offer the general community that's interested in learning cryptography, which is certainly a lot, but also on how it came to be and uh, insights into how you guys set it up. So I very much appreciate uh, you guys, Jack and Lawrence, joining us to talk more about this. Uh, do you guys have, any, have anything more to say, anything to add before we sign off? No. Thank, thanks for having us on. Yeah, it's been really fun to chat to you both and also to kind of meet you in a, a non-text-based form. I think I've spoken to both of you in different ways on Twitter or Discord or Slack, so it's fun to fun to talk this way. And and lastly, uh, yes, I will be, and I'll be attending Hacks as well. Um, I, I, and, I, and I think the only other thing I, I'd like to say is if you've listened to this podcast and you're still thinking about learning cryptography, but you're not sure about crypto hack or whatever, just get in contact with me. I'm happy to talk about stuff and give you ideas. I'm much more interested in people learning about cryptography than I am for people signing up to CryptoHack. Um, we make CryptoHack for fun and I think people will get some value out of it, but I'm much more interested in helping support people uh, get into this area. I think it's a fun thing to do and I think there's a, there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, I think opening up cryptography to everyone who's interested and able to participate in making it an inclusive uh, field removing the elitism and exclusion uh, as much as possible is definitely very important uh, here. Uh, all right. Well, um, and I very much appreciate the work that uh, CryptoHack is, is contributing to that. Um, all right. So uh, thank you, Jack. Thank you, uh, Lawrence, for jumping on Cryptography FM. And uh, of course, once again, I encourage our listeners to check out CryptoHack at cryptohack.org go learn cryptography for free in a very nice website with cute graphics and great puzzles and a supportive discord community what more could you want it's free it's made by cryptography enthusiasts for cryptography enthusiasts it's a completely good thing so uh, thank you lawrence thank you jack for your efforts on this fantastic piece of work 
And uh, thank you to our listeners for joining us. Whether I hope you join us again next time, whether you're a listener or an active participant here on Cryptography FM. 